Government. We all know it's important to understand, be it state, local, or national, but doesn't the thought of it just make you want to, well, drink? If so, you're in the right place. I'm Angel Romero, your politics and pints aficionado, and this is Ballots and Brews, where we'll talk all things local beer while also diving into what in the world is happening at the local, state, and national government and what you can do about it. It's Schoolhouse Rocks meets the Daily Show meets C-SPAN, so let's get this show started. And welcome back to our final edition of uh, Ballots and Brews for this season. It is hard to believe, uh, but time flies when you're having fun. This is our, our last, or season finale of our first season of Ballots and Brews. And, you know, we decided to, to close things off in a big way tonight. So we are having another one of our, our special editions where we've cleared out the whole hour for our show tonight. And so for our final interview, we are so excited uh, to be joined by none other than the mayor of the city of Topeka, Michelle De La Isla. Michelle, thanks for hanging out with us today. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. This is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. This is all awesome. this is so cool. So glad you could make it. You know, as we as we get started off, you know, for those uh, for those couple people out there who may not be uh, too familiar with you, can you talk a little bit just kind of about your background and how you got to Topeka in the first place? Now, now that you and I are, are, are from Topeka, uh, so I always think it's fun for people to kind of know how you got here. Yeah, I know you're one of my few Puerto Rican friends. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Puerto Ricans in Topeka. Right. <laughs> that. Um, so yeah, I was born in New York, raised in Puerto Rico. I ended up in Kansas back in the year 2000. I was overcoming homelessness and uh, married and was relocated to Topeka. And I always joked that I came kicking and screaming. And now you have to get me out of the community kicking and screaming <laughs> if you want me out of here. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I have to ask, I don't think I've ever asked before, what part of uh, Puerto Rico is your family from? Uh, Bayamón. I have okay. a lot of family family in Bayamón and uh, and some family in Guaynabo. Oh, very cool. That's actually, if I remember right, so I think my grandmother was from Bayamón, uh, and I think my grandfather was from Caguas, down in, in the central part of Bayamón. Angel, we, we must be related. Uh, right. Like 30 generations down the road. Right. I mean, so... Just, just check, check your twenty-three and me cousins. Exactly, exactly. We're totally like you know, two second cousins twice removed or something like that. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so of course you got to Topeka, and yeah, when you when you got here first, you were uh, involved with the nonprofit community. You want to talk a little bit about kind of what your time looked like in Topeka when you when you first got here first got here, I started working immediately at Housing and Credit Counseling. Um, it was a great experience working with them, helping families achieve financial uh, security. And shortly after that, like five years, not shortly, but five years after that, I became the executive director of Habitat for Humanity. From there, I ran for council and then started working at Westar Energy, which is now Evergy, and I did diversity and inclusion for them, then got promoted to run the state of Kansas's area for di- uh, supplier diversity, uh, became mayor, and uh, that's, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting trajectory. Absolutely. Well, I was going to say, you know, you had a, a good thing going on with, with Habitat for Humanity. Of course, I appreciate also that we shared the, the nonprofit uh, struggle as well. We know that the struggle is real. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. We're trying to do good in a world that that, that has a lot of competing needs, uh, especially absolutely. right now after COVID. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah, you've got a good thing going on there. So what made you decide to want to run for, for city council um, and then eventually run for mayor? 
I think that the biggest experience was the downtown redevelopment process, just being able to engage young people and the community. I don't know if you recall the charrette process that we were just engaging people from all over the community, having them dream about they wanted their downtown to be. And the bottom line was in order for us to try to attract the private dollars to do all the redevelopment, we needed the city to do the work in the infrastructure. And that was a total amount of $5 million in infrastructure work. So we were working arduously from 2006 all the way up to 2012, trying to make sure that we could get those dollars approved. And we never gave up. I mean, it was hard. I mean, we kept on hearing no, and then we had to wait six months before we were able to bring back the subject. And I learned so much. I'll never forget my girls having to go with me to these council meetings. But I learned that if you actually have good intentions, you could use the platform of organizing to bring people really feel disconnected from the government system and bring them on board so that they can feel like they are what they are, which is true stakeholders of the future of their community. And that process, we had one of our young girls uh, testify in front of the council, and that was the night that we got our vote. It wasn't that she was the only thing. There was a lot of work that was done before that, but it just made me realize, okay, I could do this. I could I could yeah. help other voices be heard and help shape the future of our community. I want to do this. So my first reaction was, I'm going to run for mayor. <laughs> but as you can imagine, Larry had already been on the council for a while and we had worked together closely. And I was just like, Larry, if you're going to run, I'll just help you run your campaign. And he's like, no, 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 I have something better. I think that you're in the district that I would vacate. Why don't you try running for the council? Uh-huh. And I remember thinking, who would vote for me? What the heck does the council really do? <laughs> I mean, the mayor is like the public figure, like the person that's bringing people together, you know, and he's like, if you don't understand what the council is, Michelle, you should really consider running for council before you run for mayor. Best advice I ever got. Um, and then the rest is history. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's okay. I totally, I totally remember uh, your daughter testify. That was such a, that was such a cool night. Uh, it's, it's, it's funny you said that because I can still remember that, that clear as day. Yeah. I mean, Michelle Hubbard told people, she said, look, if you don't, I surveyed a hundred of my fellow students and they all said that if you don't invest in downtown, we're all going to leave. And I was just like that. She said, downtown sucks. And I will never forget sitting there going, Oh snap. (laughs) She just said that in a city council meeting. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, You know, and and of course, as you, you went along to serving on the the city council. So, so what then uh, prompted you to run for, for mayor? That was a lot of prayer, meditation, inquiry, because I could tell you that after my my fourth year, because I don't know if you know that we expanded elections were in uh, April, but then yeah. for those of us who were on the council ended up having almost an additional year on the council. Yeah. By year four, I was pretty burnt out. I don't do politicking well. <laughs> and I was just like, I'm out. I'm done. And my daughters, God bless them. You know, they did the same thing for me when I was running for council, but they were like, Ma, who else cares as much as you do? I mean, I remember I came home throwing stuff on the table. I was like, I'm I'm so fed up. You know, we work so hard. And and the girls were like, Mom, who else? Who else? You need to do this, Mom. You need to do this. And I had a lot of people in the community asking me to run. And interestingly enough, I made the decision after going through the Leadership Greater Topeka program and having my peer. That was my question. That was my question in the peer review teams. And um, I, I don't regret it, even though it's been extremely difficult. Uh, 
but it's also been very rewarding. It's been a beautiful experience. That's awesome. That's a, a shout out to anyone that is a, a, an alum of Leadership Career Topeka or considering going through Leadership Career Topeka. You never know uh, where that journey will take you. So that's a, a good plug for that, that program right there. Absolutely. Great program in our community. Oh, that's awesome. Now, you know, the, your whole experience of, of running for mayor, you know, especially knowing if, if elected that you would be the first Latino mayor um, of Topeka. You know, what was that experience, that campaign experience like for you? So we didn't really focus on the fact that turns out that we were making history. Uh, it, it, it was really about keeping our head down, talking to people, outworking anybody else, um, out fundraising, out door knocking, out eventing. I mean, we just wanted to make sure that if we did not win, it wasn't because at the end of the day, we didn't work hard enough to right. you know get everybody's votes. So not once. Not once. And it was interesting that in the debates, uh, I was admonished because they're like, how could you do this and have a full job? Right. Um, and, you know, you're a single mom. I mean, I was called uber ambitious and all of these things that I was just like, I had no guy. It's called this stuff. All but, right. hey, you know, that's fine. I'll deal with it. And it's part of the change. But even though those hints were there, um, I never really understood it until the New York Times called me and they were like, how did you accomplish this? And I was just like, what do you mean? I worked really hard. <laughs> um, but it was just like, you are a first of many. You know, yeah. you are a first minority. You're the first person to hold the role as a single parent. You're the first person to hold a role that's got a full time job. What did you do? You know, how did you make this happen? And, you know, what does that say about the community? So it was it was really interesting that not once did I go into it thinking about it until it happened. Well, and, you know, it was interesting to think at the time that that you got elected mayor, um, you know, with the city council elections that happened, you know, it kind of worked out that I think at that time that our city council had, had was majority female. Um, we had other people. Yes, college, correct. It became a really diverse uh, governing body, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, uh, and, you know, you kind of mentioned it here, too, you know, talking about uh, keeping a full-time job while serving um, as mayor. Can you talk a little bit about kind of that decision process and really help people kind of understand how the role of, of mayor is shaped? Because people might not quite understand, you know, how that what that job looks like. Well, the, the role of mayor is what you get. You, you could be a ceremonial mayor that just shows up at the council meeting and runs the meeting. Sure. But if you really want to engage and to be you know, the mayor that your community needs, you're going to do a lot more than that. Um, the, the vision of this role, I think, was that this was going to be a part-time position. Um, it's a pipe dream. It's, it's impossible for a mayor of a major city to be a part-time mayor. Yeah. And at least if you're going to really delve into the job and, and want to do something more than just have the title and, you know, collect the $40,000 paycheck a year. Right. Um, so the, the, the way that the city is structured, we have a city manager. The city manager is the executive of all the staff in the city. Then the city manager reports to all of us. 
um, at the council. I have an office in City Hall in which I spend, before COVID, a fair amount of time and not only spend a fair amount of time working with city manager, but also working with the council and making sure that what the community was wanting was being seen happening at the policy level. Example of that was we made sure that we continued door knocking and going to neighborhoods that typically would not be approached by a mayor after a mayor was elected. I heard that so many times. They're like, you know, people come over here and they show up at our NIA, but they do so only when they want to get elected, where we wanted to change that narrative. And when I say we, I talk about the team that was a phenomenal team that helped me become elected. Uh, The volunteers still worked with me um, and we made sure that we reached out to the community. So, and then on top of that, for anybody that's, you know, thinking of this job, then you also have a, you know, job that is pretty much a full-time job working for the Greater Topeka Partnership because you're helping with economic development, you're helping with, you know, the chamber, you're helping with Visit Topeka, you're helping with all of these things that that are part of growing your community, that it's it's a full-time plus job. Sure. Um, there's, there's no such thing as balance. And for me, the decision was simple. I'm a single parent. I mean, $40,000 a year for three kids, <laughs> it's just not going to cut it. Right. So... Um, to me, the mayor role was not a money maker. To me, the mayor role was my community engagement and my service to my community. So, I needed to supplement my income while I was doing that. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to on a, I was on a call the other day, a Zoom call with the Kids Leadership Center. They're talking actually about millennials in in public service. Um, and the, the question of of pay came up for state legislators because there's a conversation about how a lot of uh, working folks and younger folks who are trying to build their career, one of the barriers to them is being able to uh, work full-time to support their family, but also being a, legisla- a legislator. And uh, yeah, I wonder if that conversation will bleed into other elected offices, even local elected offices, too, about how can we really make that equitable for really, truly anyone to be able to hold some of those positions? Absolutely. I mean, I tell you what, it just, just as a shock, I don't know if you recall this, I voted no on it, but the council, before I got elected mayor, voted on giving itself a raise. Right. And they doubled their salary, which is like more pennies for the hours that the council members and the mayor works. Right. Uh, but the reality is that if if we really want to see a diversity of individuals of high caliber running for office, we have to compensate people what they should be making. And um, I think that you base that on the area median income of what a livable wage would be for an executive of the size of that community. Uh, Understanding that, of course, you have the city manager, but if if we want to see other people run for office, we have to compensate, you know, young families so that they could actually feed their families while they're serving their communities. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's uh, I'm looking forward to hearing more of those discussions because I think you're right. I think that that's going to be key to really changing that or really opening the door to, to more folks to hold those positions. Well, and, and you, know, you mentioned, you know, the, some of the outreach that you did. You know, when you when you would talk to folks in the community or when people would reach out to you, was there any general theme of the types of things people would reach out or is it really just run the gamut of anything and everything? Oh, gosh, everything. <laughs> um, it, it We would show up at these neighborhood improvement uh, association meetings and the conversations went from the roads to public safety to, you know, investments in the neighborhoods. 
I mean, you name it. It just sure. ran the whole gamut. I mean, sometimes the conversations were, I need help from the city and I have not been able to get it. Can you help me? I mean, it, it was sure. a little bit of everything. Sure. Yeah, does it ever feel, yeah, you mentioned the, the role of the, the city manager too. And of course that is, as we've talked about before in the show, very, very much a full-time uh, uh, job uh, as an admin, administrative role. Does, is there, does it ever feel powerless? Is it the right word? But do you ever feel like, gosh, I wish I could do more in my position? Do you ever feel limited? All the time. All the time. <laughs> that's, why, that's why I was kind of wondering what that, what that feeling was like. All the time. I mean, because a lot of times the needs that individuals have are outside of your locus of control. Sure. Um, if it's something like with the city, like one of the things that we used to do for people when COVID was not a thing is we would go to a neighborhood, figure out that there were potholes. There were literally tons of potholes and we have the C-Click Fix app. But guess what? The residents did not have the app, did not, mm. you know, maybe know how to use a cell phone. We had a high amount of elderly individuals in the neighborhood um, or individuals of, you know, low socioeconomic resources that just were not plugged into like this app, for example, Um, we would just go and like have a bunch of 20 of us and just see, click, fix the crud out of (laughs) a whole neighborhood. And then like two weeks later, all the potholes were magically fixed. Right. (laughs) So um, those things I could do. But there there were times that families like when when COVID was happening, I had so many calls of people asking me to help them with um, with uh, unemployment. Oh, sure. And it was like, I, I wish I could. I mean, it's a state function. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's a really humbling job because if you do it with right reason, uh, you always feel like you're not doing enough. Sure, sure. I, I, I could totally, totally see that. Uh, you know, along those lines, what do you think, what do you think has been the, the most rewarding part about the position as you look back? And what do you think has been the, the most challenging or the most frustrating part? Uh, wow. The most rewarding part has been what we were just talking about, just making sure that I'm connecting with people in the community that ordinarily did not get to know their mayor and um, that find individuals in that role unapproachable sure. and giving humanity to this role. Um, I think that you know that I'm pretty irreverent <laughs> and um, I am who I am and I have fun. Uh, just a little bit. Just a little yeah, exactly. Bit. You're like, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about, Michelle. Uh, you may just be a little, yeah. Um, I dig it. I like it. But uh, I think the most frustrating part sometimes is just like the politics of it all. Sure. Um, you know how negative the environment has become, even at a local level sometimes, and. Um, how people so quickly, because they disagree with one another, forget that we're still neighbors sure. and that we have so much more that binds us in common than the things that don't. And that it is absolutely OK for us to disagree, but still, you know, honor the humanity in each other. So 
Yeah. Right. Well, and you know, that's what it was. You know, and for people uh, out there listening, you know, we've talked before about how uh, city, you know, city council and the mayor's race are, are nonpartisan in the sense that you don't run with a, a letter after your name. Certainly, supposedly, right? But supposedly, you know, to me, because the biggest small town ever, and so, so you know, people people suss people out pretty quick, uh, and so you know, I was wondering how much of that you know toxic environment, toxic partisan environment that happens elsewhere has seeped into to the local government level. A lot. Gosh. A lot. That's that. That's see. That's that's one of those things where I always one of the reasons why I've always liked local government is I've always seen that kind of last bastion of sanity left in the in the uh, in the government world, and so it's been interesting to see some of that that toxicity seep into into local government. Well, and, you know, looking at uh, just a, a couple issues I was going to talk to you about, you know, there's been a whole wide range of things that have happened in, uh, during your, your term as mayor. You know, one of the things that um, I know you and the council have been really active on is this um, uh, issue of, of police and community relations. And, and the city's taken a, a lot of steps uh, to really work through um, that, that relationship. Uh, we've talked with uh, both police chief and, and city manager about this. You know, how do you feel the, the community's been doing so far? And, and what do you think is is left of you to continue uh, working on improving that relationship? You know, I think that it's going to be an iterative process. So I don't think that the work will ever be completed because there mm-hmm. always will be something to learn. Um, I am very grateful that our community, even before um, the tragic loss of George Floyd that woke up the country um, with regards to the the systems of injustice and the challenges that predominantly minority, especially black communities are having with police departments across the country. Um, we were already having those conversations. We were, uh, you know, by virtue of, let us never forget. I mean, we lost Dominic White in our community. Yeah. And um, that put Topeka in a place of having have these very deep conversations of understanding pers- perception, reality, um, understanding how we could be a better conduit of service delivery, how we could create trust in our community, especially our black and brown communities, so that our, our residents felt safe in the presence of a police officer. And we've done so much work. I mean, we have listened to our community, engaged with our community, um, done things that other communities only dream of being able to accomplish with the support of our governing body. Sure. But the reality is that there's still going to be work to do. Sure. What do you think? Yeah, of course, every community has its, its unique challenges when it comes to the issue. What, what do you think are some of the, the kind of unique challenges for Topeka in, in addressing uh, that relationship? I I think that the challenges that Topeka is facing are not unique. Um, You know, I think that the narrative becomes immediately an all or nothing. So if all of a sudden you say we have to start talking about um, police relationships with our community, there is an automatic um, gut reaction that says you don't support the police department. Mm. And then if you say something along the lines of, you know, we understand in the community that that there is a need for for reform. However, we, we need to have conversations both ways and also understand that not all police officers are bad. We may have some individuals that, you know, should not be police officers and are making mistakes. The, the key thing is dealing specifically with those police officers, but also developing a culture that it's healthy. Then it's like on the other side, it's like you're supporting the police. Right. You, you don't understand. So I, I think that that 
type of dynamic is what makes so difficult progress. Sure. Because you have two very emotional, very real um, sides to the situation and bringing people together to discuss things in a sensible way without allowing, allowing your personal experiences and traumas to come into the conversation is extremely difficult. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, another uh, challenge that the, the council has been working on, this has actually been a, a, another challenge that's been kind of a longstanding one, is, is thinking about um, housing and specifically affordable housing um, in a community. And so the council did recently vote to um, establish a housing trust fund. Can you talk yes. about that? Yeah, that was yes. super exciting. I was uh, watching, I knew it was coming up for a vote, and then I had things going on, and I checked the news the next day, and I thought, well, hot, hot dang, look, look at that. So can you talk a little bit about uh, kind of what the, the, the purpose is of that fund and what it's hoping to address? The, the hope is that we would have a fund that can continue growing in which we could use as leverage with developers to come into our community and help us rehab and also, you know, do buildings of low income and moderate income housing in our community to ensure that everybody in our community has a decent place to live. Um, we already have money from HUD, but the need is pretty big in our community for us to rehab our housing stock and to ensure that any individual in our community is able to have safe and decent housing and adequate housing, that this is just another arm that we can have as a tool to ensure that there's dollars to to match uh, for individuals that want to come into our community. So it's really nice to have that enticing piece, as well as trying to leverage private investors to give you know additional funds to the housing trust fund so that we could have more money to you know leverage out. Absolutely. Well, it's another example of really that kind of public-private partnership. And those, par- those public-private partnerships have been really pivotal in lots of ways for the community. They have. Absolutely. Well, and, and that actually gets to that to the next topic I was going to ask about. You know, when it talks so when it comes to growth and and development, there there's a lot going on uh, in, in Top City. You know, we've got the downtown master plan that's happening. We've got the work that Jado's doing. We have momentum twenty twenty two. So there's a lot going on. Uh, you know, what do you think is going to be really the key for Topeka to do in order to continue this momentum and this growth that's happening? I think that in order for us to continue accelerating our momentum, we need to keep engaging young people. We need to remain united in our focus. I think that that has been the single most important focus change that we've had. For years, you used to turn on the city council meetings to watch people fight, right? Right. Grab some popcorn. Here we go. (laughs) There is the cluster happening. Um, And then not only that, but the the Chamber of Commerce, the Greater Topeka Partnership um, did not really have a positive relationship. There was a relationship but it wasn't as close as it is today. And furthermore, if you started going down and talking with the school board and start talking with the the, the county commission, those relationships were not existent. Mm. Now, we've been able to turn that around. We've been able to understand the power of collaborating, having people like the the Realtor Association, which is so critical on the table, helping us make positive decisions to help our community move forward. We're talking to each other. We're all on the same page. And the most beautiful thing that we're seeing is that right now we understand that the only ones that win are our citizens. And we're okay with that. Nobody needs to get the credit. We're focusing on that. So in order for us to continue doing what we're doing, that has to still be the heart and the spirit of everything that we do. 
Absolutely. Well, and you know, one of the, the questions I know sometimes people have to have is making sure that that growth is happening equitably, equitably in the community too, and ensuring that we're be able to serve all all parts of our community. You know, how do we make sure that we that we're doing that, uh, and that people? I guess it's one thing to do it, and how do we make sure that people? Because you know, perception can be reality sometimes, and so you know, how do we address the the perception that folks may have that maybe they think it isn't being equitably done in the community? You know, I think that that's where we have to amplify all voices that are seeing some of the efforts that we have going on in our community. I think that, you know, programs like this one is a great way to help people understand that, yes, that we are trying. Um, I was I was having a conversation with the Greater Leadership Topeka class of this year. And one of the questions that I got was exactly that. They're like, you know, how do we do this? How do we help people understand that we're trying in every corner of the city? And it's just like, it can't just be the leaders. It's got to be everybody taking responsibility of understanding what's happening in their community and amplifying the good things that are happening and helping change that negative narrative of people that maybe not are not as engaged and inviting people in to sit at the table and letting them know, hey, you have a seat at the table. Come on, let's work together. And, and what are your concerns? Here's what's happening. But again, it's that whole spirit of collaboration is critical. Absolutely. Well, that's a, a note to all of you listening out there too, to, to not keep the good news to yourself either. Uh, so, you know, be sure to share, uh, you know, share the, the information you gain from this program, but also things you see on social media and things like that. Uh, I think you're, you're absolutely right. You know, it's, it's that, it's that word of mouth. It's that, it's that, uh, you know, one by the, that one person that talks to one person that talks to one person and, and really getting the, the word out there. It really is amazing the difference that that one person can make when they, they really champion uh, those causes in the community. Absolutely. Uh, now, of course, we, we should note that uh, you are not running for re-election um, as mayor, so this will be your, your one and final term um, as yes, mayor. Yes, sir. Uh, but you have a, a sweet new gig uh, lined up. Do you want to talk about that? Well, it's not lined up. I'm already working in it. <laughs> it's uh, the Draper Richards Kaplan Foundation. I am the managing director for the Midwest. Um, and I am excited to be helping expand uh, Draper Richards Kaplan Foundation's role and impact in our community. The The job really is my dream job. The organization is a venture philanthropy in which we are trying to understand what the most pressing problems are in our communities in the world. And we support social entrepreneurs that are doing positive work and we help them scale um, all for the satisfaction of being able to see good done in the world. I mean, it is. That's cool. Amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I can, I can see how that would, how that would be your dream job. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that, that, check, that checks out. Well, it, you know, we talked earlier, of course, about you being the, the first Latina mayor of Topeka. And we talked about this a little bit earlier, but you know, how do we, how do we ensure you're not, the last you know how do we encourage and support other other people of color especially young people um and folks like that to run for public office so hey topeka has a great opportunity mike Padilla's running for mayor that's who i'm voting for <laughs> um but <laughs> that's another great latino the other thing is just run for office. I think that it's so critical that um, we have different faces, different experiences, different walks of life running for office. That way we can continue having representation. And if you don't want to run for office, support a good person that is diverse to, you know, in their run for office as well. Absolutely. And, and, you know, speaking of, you know, our, uh, the the election coming up, you know, what, any advice that you would give to the next mayor of Topeka? You know, the advice would be 
Continue being collaborative. Uh, stay humble. Keep your eye on the future of the community. Our community is poised to do great things. And um, you're going to be handed a community that is in a great spot with amazing partners. Just keep moving the ball forward. Excellent. I like that. I like that. I, I, I think you're, you're right in the spirit of collaboration. I, you know, I see it, of course, in the nonprofit community. And I think we're seeing it in all different kinds of sectors um, of, the, of the community. And that's, I, I think if, if there could be any kind of silver lining that comes out of COVID, I think that's one of them is that we, I think it made us all realize more than ever that we really do need each other, uh, that we can't do this all by ourselves. Yep. Well, and of course, since this is Ballots and Brews, we have to ask, as we finish up after a long day of juggling uh, all of the things that you do, is there a, a favorite beverage of choice that you like to relax with? There's two. There's okay. two. The first one is uh, Ryan Bishop Old Fashioned. <laughs> nice. Uh, Yes, Bishop makes the best old fashions, man. They're amazing. I've heard, or, I've heard of this. this is awesome. Yes, it is true. It is true. Believe <laughs> the hype. And then the other thing is a glass of wine. Oh, nice. You have any preference or just any wine? Mm, well, right now, my friends and I have a wine club, and we're going through 34 wines nice. um, from all over the world. And But right now, I would say Malbec. I love a good Malbec. Ooh. I love Rombauer Chardonnay because it's buttery and heavy and beautiful. Yeah. And uh, I found a new love called Beaujolais. <laughs> and uh, the Beaujolais crew appellation of wines are just to die for. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's so cool. Now, now I'm really thirsty. Oh, and we should note to everyone, we're recording this at 11.35. 11.35. So we're not oh, drinking right. right now. There's no drinking happening. <laughs> just just <laughs> keep us keep us on a straight and narrow today oh my goodness well Michelle thank you so much for, of course for first off for, for everything you've done for uh, the city and your role as, uh, as mayor and the city council member before that uh, thanks for fraying it out with us here tonight well, thank you for the opportunity, Angel, and thank you for always being such a positive force in our community and just trying to always find ways of getting people engaged, getting people involved, and just being the light that you are. Just keep shining, man. Oh, hey, thanks. Thanks. And I'm glad to know you're not going far either, too. Um, yes. In your post-mayoral life. So I'm gonna, I am might have to I might have to hook up with you to try one of these Ryan Bishop old fashions. That's on my list now. That sounds great. <laughs> awesome. Well, folks, thanks again to all of you for tuning in to tonight and every other night uh, that we've been on for these last eight months. We have had a blast talking to you about uh, talking to all kinds of great people on this show, learning a lot, both about ballots and brews uh, over the last uh, last almost year. Uh, just so you know, as a reminder, even though the show is taking a break for the summer, uh, we will still be busy preparing for this fall's election and making sure that everyone knows how important it is to vote in local elections this fall. So be sure to keep up with us on our social media, on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Ballots Brews. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts uh, to know when we're back in the fall as well. Uh, so until next time, as always, folks, please, please, please stay safe, wear your mask, your vaccine, uh, drink some good beer, and we'll catch you next time here on Ballots and Brews on KSAT 75 Live Radio.
You're listening to Ballots and Brews on KSCF Digital Radio Topeka. For advertising opportunities, please go to 785live.com. Thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.